Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our ongoing conversation about ministry leadership, the practical side of doing work in the kingdom. Well, today I want to talk about parenting in the ministry. Ministry families have some unique challenges. And being a parent of children in a ministry context comes with some distinct challenges. No question about that. Ministry families are unique. But I want to underscore something right at the beginning of the podcast. They're not as unique as you think. So I would begin by saying, if you're a ministry parent, the first thing you should do is remember that all the things you teach and preach for other families to do, you should do them as well. You're not that different. You should have a family night. You should practice family devotions. You should work on meeting each other's needs and developing a sense of uh, servanthood within your family context. You should learn how to serve in your church and in your community. These are things that every Christian family needs to work on. And just because you're a ministry family, you're not exempt from doing these basic things. So the first thing I would say is that while ministry families are unique, they're not as unique as we think they are. We need to start out by simply doing all the things we preach and teach for other families to do. And then let's also recognize that while ministry families are unique because of the, some, of the, some of the challenges to family life that we find in ministry contexts, we are not the only profession that has to handle vocational challenges to the family. When I hear a pastor or ministry leader say, oh, the ministry's hard on my family, the schedule, the difficulty, the challenges, I'm embarrassed. Look, Ministry is no more difficult on a family than most any other vocation. Let me give you some examples. I have a friend, for example, who's a medical doctor, and he's in a practice with three other physicians. The four of them share their on-call duties. So every fourth day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, he's on call for 24 hours. And one weekend a month, every fourth weekend, he's on call Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So one day a week and one weekend a month, he's on call. And if his children have a ball game or uh, his wife's having a bad day or his uh, brother-in-law is having a birthday party, it doesn't matter. He has a job that requires a certain schedule. And so their family has to adjust. I have another friend who's a long-haul truck driver. He gets in the truck and goes away for two or three days at a time and then back home for a day and then out for seven or eight days and then home for two days. He's an over-the-road trucker. That's how he makes his living for his family. His children have to adjust, and so does his wife, and so does he. That's one of the challenges of their family's life. I have another friend who's a high school football coach. And during the football season, um, they're a football family. 
uh, their life revolves around practice and games and training and film and all the things that go with being a high school football coach, and especially large high school with a very high-profile program. And so in that context, their family has to adjust. So during the football season, from about the middle of August until uh, early December, they are focused entirely on that particular responsibility. Then other times of the year, not so much. I could go on and on and on. I have a friend who's a nurse, and she works rotating shifts where she's on two days, off three, on three, off four, that kind of thing. And her family has to adjust. Her husband, her children, they all understand mom's a nurse, and we have to adjust to that. We have to make our family work in the context of these vocational challenges. All I'm trying to say is, if you're a ministry leader, yes, there are distinct challenges to parenting for ministry leaders that come with the job, that come with the territory, they're part of the deal. No questions asked. But let's stop whining about that, as if we're somehow singled out with this problem. Every profession has demands that impact family life. And every family, including parents with children, have to understand how they're going to accommodate the work demands and yet maintain their Christian commitments and their family responsibilities and their parenting practices. So we start with this overarching insight. Ministry families are unique, but we're not that unique. Everything we teach and preach and tell other people to do, we should be preaching, teaching, and telling ourselves and doing it as well. And then we're not that unique, even though we have unique challenges to our parenting and family because of the ministry lifestyle we have. Every other family in our church and ministry organization has their own set of challenges based on the vocation that they've chosen as well. Now, having said that, there are, however, some special issues that relate to ministry parenting, and I want to talk about those now for the next few minutes. The first one is I want to challenge you to encourage your children to be themselves. Ministry parenting comes with a lot of fishbowl experience. Families are on display. People see children. And it's very easy for church members and ministry constituents to put expectations on children that are really not fair. So you have to encourage your children to be themselves by, first of all, protecting them from the expectations of others. Someone once said, you know, that's not the way ministers' children should act. And I thought, well, that's the way these ministry children act. I wasn't going to let someone else define how my children were supposed to behave based on an unrealistic or imaginary expectation of what, quote, ministers' children are supposed to do. Now, my children might have needed to change their behavior, no question about that, but they weren't going to change it to meet someone's imaginary expectation of what a minister's child should be. I'm going to protect my children from that kind of unrealistic expectation. A part of encouraging your children to be themselves is to help your children learn who they are and maximize the life God intends for them. When our children were growing up, we wanted all of them to consider the possibility of ministry we wanted all of them to consider uh, the different options that they could take in terms of school and training and career choice. 
We never told them they had to be a certain thing because they were ministers' children, pastors' kids. And today, both my sons are businessmen. My daughter married a pastor. They found the life God intended for them, and we wanted them to grow up to be who God made them to be, not what some person in our church expected them to be. And then a part of encouraging your children to be themselves is not only protecting them and helping them to grow and find their own way, but it's avoiding projecting your own expectations and desires on your children. I know, I know. You want your children to grow up to be missionaries, every one of them. Well, newsflash, may not happen. You want your children to grow up to be pastors, may not happen. You have in your mind what you expect or want or desire or dream of for your children. Get over it. Your children were not given to you by God to fulfill your dreams. They have their own dreams, their own lives. They need to become who God made them to be. And you have to avoid projecting your own expectations on them in order to free them to become who they're really supposed to be. So the first challenge of ministry parenting is encouraging children to be themselves, protecting them from the expectations of others, helping them learn who they are and maximize God's intent for their lives, and avoiding projecting your expectations and your desires on your children in some sense that they might be the fulfillment of your spiritual dreams or your spiritual goals, your Christian commitments, or your ministry desires. Get past that and encourage your children to be themselves. A second key issue in ministry parenting is allowing your children to develop spiritually at their own pace. One of the frustrating things I see in some ministry families is the expectation that ministry children and particularly ministry teenagers will be expected to demonstrate a level of spiritual maturity far beyond their capacity at their particular juncture of life. Allow your children to grow, to develop at their own spiritual pace. Encouraging them along, pushing them a little bit, helping them to grow, and giving them opportunities, but recognizing that just as God is growing you at a pace that moves you forward in your spiritual development at the right time and in the right way, so God is going to do with your children. This has been such a challenge for me when I've had to just sit back and say, okay, God, I see how this child needs to grow and develop and change, but I'm sure you see it better than I. So, Lord, in your own time, your own way, grow this person to the person you want them to be. Now, along the way, in helping your children set the uh, to develop spiritually at their own pace, I think there are some specific issues that ministry parents have to address. The first one is this. I think you should set some minimum uh, church attendance and ministry participation standards for your family. In our family, we had this phrase, when the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. 
When the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. So when anything was offered that the whole church was participating in, like Sunday worship service, for example, our whole family would go to church. So when the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. But there's something built into that expectation that's very important. And that is, we allowed, and I advise ministry parents to allow their children to opt out of optional church activities. You say, oh no, our, our children need to be at everything. No, they don't. That's an unrealistic expectation of any child, of any teenager. When the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. But I don't go to every men's group meeting in our church. My wife doesn't go to every women's group meeting. I don't go to every missions meeting. My wife doesn't go to every missions meeting. I don't go to every prayer meeting. My wife doesn't go to every prayer meeting. Yes, we are meaningfully involved in the life of our church, but there's no possible way, given our lives, our schedules, the demands on our time, that we can attend to every one of these church optional activities that's made available to us. Your children should be given the same freedom. We faced this in a very significant way when my oldest son was in the sixth grade. Our church had a children's choir program that was really pretty good. And younger children especially loved being in this program, had a wonderful director. They did uh, marvelous productions. It was not only a uh, opportunity for musical involvement, but it was a discipleship moment. They learned scripture. They learned uh, the Bible. Uh, they learned how to work together and accomplish something good for the kingdom of God and for our church. It was a really good program. But my oldest son got to be in about the fifth or sixth grade, and he just came home one day and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like it. It's not who I am. I don't want to do it. Uh, can I drop out of children's choir? Well, it was a tough moment because the children's choir director was one of my wife's best friends. So we had to work through those layers of concern. But finally, we agreed. Yes, son, this is an optional activity. You're not asking to stop going to church. You're not rejecting the Christian faith. You're not turning your back on God or his word. You're just simply saying, I'm a 12-year-old boy, and I don't enjoy singing, and I don't really want to be in these programs anymore, so can I just stop going? And we said yes. And looking back, that was a really wise decision on our part because it helped our son to grow at his own pace and in his own way and find opportunities that he was better suited to in Christian growth and development. A few years later, this same oldest son uh, started attending something called uh, Impact Northwest, which was kind of a world changers type event in the Pacific Northwest. He loved it. I'm not quite sure why. They slept on the floor of a gymnasium. They got up at six o'clock in the morning and were on the job site by seven. They worked until four, four thirty in the afternoon. It was hot, sweaty, smelly work. Uh, the people that were in charge of it rightly so, demanded excellence, and so they had to do projects over sometimes to get them right. I offered one summer to my son, would you rather go to youth camp? He said, no. He said, who wants to go play around at youth camp when you can go to Impact Northwest and do something that matters? Wow. Man, that made my heart sing. Now I wasn't down on youth camp. I thought youth camp was a good thing too. But again, my son said, 
I don't really want to go to youth camp. I, I don't need a summer week to play around. I'd rather spend my summer week doing something that really matters. And so for all the years he was in high school, uh, he was on those Impact Northwest teams every summer, out doing hard, manual labor, building, constructing, cleaning, uh, and other kinds of projects to advance the kingdom of God in the greater Northwest. It all hinged on allowing our child, in this case our oldest son, to develop spiritually at his own pace and to make some choices about where he was going to be involved. And now I'm going to give you a controversial one. And that is, I think older children should be allowed to visit and possibly even join another church besides the one their family attends. Now, I know this is going to be controversial for some, so just listen to my reasoning about it, and then you can think it through. We did not get to this point by a strategy, by the way. We got to it uh, kind of accidentally, if you will. My oldest son came to us when he was a a junior in high school and said, uh, I, I want to go to a different church. Now, this was particularly painful because he was a member of the church I planted as a pastor. <laughs> I want to go to a different church. I said, now, where, where do you want to go to church? And he told me, and it was a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church in our area. And then I smiled and said, what's her name? And he told me there was a girl there that he wanted to go with that he met from school, and he'd like to visit her church. I said, I think that would be great. So he went to this other church for a couple Sundays, and then he came home and said, I'm thinking about joining this church and letting it be my church. Well, that was a hard thing to hear. But I thought, you know, he's not asking to quit church. He's asking to go to another church. So I said, you know, I I think that'd be fine. And even though it was a difficult thing, my wife and I agreed it was the right thing. And so he went off to this other church. Well, about six or eight weeks, he came back and started attending our church again and said, yeah, that was fine. But, uh, I wanted to come back to to my church. Now, the reason that became very significant in our lives was because the following year he went off to college. And do you know what he did? He immediately visited a church and joined it and became an active worker in that church. So many people go off to church and, and, uh, or go off to college, I should say, and leave church. We discovered, almost if you will by accident, that By this means, we had actually sent our son out to visit another church and learn how to do that so that when he went off to college, he was prepared with a life skill of knowing how to go to a church, visit a church, find a church, get involved in a church. So when we had our next two children get into high school, we actually said to them, we want you to pick a church for our family. We were moving to the seminary at that time, and we said, you're only going to be in our home for a couple more years. We want you guys to pick the church. You take the lead in getting us involved. We're going to support you guys for the next year or two. And then when you're off to college, we'll pick a church if we feel like we need a different one. And that's what Ann and I did. We actually wound up at some point after that choosing a different church and going to it. But we found out an important principle, and that is children need to learn how to find and choose and attend and join and become active in a different church before they leave home. Not when they're just thrown out and told to go find one when they move off to college. So when I talk about allowing your children to develop spiritually at their own pace, I'm saying, yes, minimum requirements and minimum standards and minimum commitments must be met. This is what our family does, and this is how our family acts. But beyond that, 
Let your children grow at their own pace by choosing optional activities and plugging in and out of church ministries where they best fit so they can grow spiritually. And then push them, allow them, encourage them to even branch out and to begin to explore what it means to have their own church, their own faith, to stand on their own two feet spiritually before they leave home. Now, I know this is going to be hard for some of you because you think, no, we have these precious few days and we have to cling to our children so that they stay with us as long as possible. Well, that's because you think your children are to fulfill your emotional needs. That's not why God gave you those children. God gave you your children to shape them so they can impact the world for him for the next generations. So your job is to help launch them to do that in a healthy way, even while they're at home with you. Well, a third idea. And that is that ministry parents have to keep this goal clearly in mind. You're trying to produce spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, independent adults. Now, you have to resist and resist other people helping you with this. Resist evaluating your child's spiritual development prematurely. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he shall go. And when he is old, not when he's 13, when he's old, he will not depart from it. In other words, we're trying to train adults. We're not trying to train spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature 14-year-olds. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to train adults. This is so difficult because so many ministry parents want their teenagers to be models of spiritual virtue and spiritual uh, and paragons of spiritual commitment. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for teenagers that are committed to Jesus and trying to grow and learn and develop in him. But let's not overexpect. They're going to have ups and downs, periods of uh, intense devotion and periods where they're in uh, cool rebellion. Uh, they're, they're not going to be developing into the model citizens we dream of them being when they're that age. Instead, you got to take a little longer view. I remember one time in a, in a, when my wife was particularly discouraged about this, I said, I know it's hard right now, but when our children come home, when they're about 24 years old, you're going to be really proud of them. She's like, They may not make it to 24 the way they're acting right now. I said, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. But in the short run, we can't overexpect, And we can't can't fall into the temptation that ministry parents feel to have their children, especially their teenagers, be these examples of virtue and paragons of commitment. We just can't do that. And on our best days, Ann and I were... A team together saying, yes, we're going to wait until they're a little older before we evaluate the kind of parenting we we accomplished. And in our case, when our children were in their mid-20s, they came home remarkably different people, and they were spiritually growing, they were emotionally healthy, they were socially mature, and they were independent of us, both in their lives and in their spiritual commitments. So resist evaluating your children's development prematurely. Keep the goal in focus that you're trying to produce adults that make a difference 
in service to God and in his kingdom. Now, you got to be prepared to handle some criticism on this one because people will not necessarily like the fact that you're unwilling to crack down on your kids to cause them to come up to somebody else's expectation. You're also going to be patient with your children's struggles. I remember one of my children uh, saying to me one day, I don't know if there is a God. <laughs> I said, okay, well, that's a problem. Another one of my sons asked me one day, why can't we go to strip clubs? Well, let's have that conversation. I mean, my children as teenagers said these outrageous things. Now, partly they said these outrageous things because they knew they'd get a rise out of their dad. And uh, they said these outrageous things because they wanted to test some limits and press me on some issues and uh, try to debate and argue about some of the positions that they were coming to as they tried to process through their own moral development. But it takes patience to endure these struggles, be patient with these questions, and take the long view that what you're trying to produce is a spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, independent adult. Keep that in view. And then number four, again, a unique challenge of ministry leadership, and that is protect your children from the ugly side of ministry. Your children, by osmosis, pick up a lot of what's going on in ministry context. Even if you don't go home and talk about the church over the dinner table or, or, tell, or, or talk about your church members uh, riding in the car, and even if ministry talk is not the thing that just permeates your, uh, your environment, there's still a lot about ministry that's going on around you, and your children see it, they hear it, they experience it, they know a lot about what's going on. You can't keep that from happening. What I'm saying here, though, is that when you can intentionally make the choices, when you know there's going to be something that's really going to be ugly about ministry, protect your children from it. Don't let your younger children attend meetings where you know conflict is likely, likely to happen. And don't let children, especially small children, know about the ugly side of ministry to people who are broken hurting, struggling. Now, you'll have to make your own call about this as your children turn into teenagers and begin to discover some of the ugly side of life. But even then, you have to help them understand and process what's happening to them and recognize your responsibility to both protect them from the ugly side of ministry and then when they are starting to grow into understanding it and learning about it, how to process it appropriately. I have a good friend who grew up the son of a pastor. And at one particular point in their lives, his father was unfairly and unjustly terminated by a church. I've known this situation a long time, and over time, uh, those words have been proven to be true. This was an ugly firing, unjust, unfair. It did real damage to my friend. He was a boy who watched his father go through this. But his father struggled through all his own feelings and provided pastoral ministry and care to his children during this time. Two of those boys were 
teenagers, they saw it all. They heard it all. They experienced it all. But their dad did a good job helping them understand the ugly side of ministry, how to process through it, how to deal with their feelings, how to understand what happened to them, and how to stay loyal and committed to God in the midst of the chaos. Today, my friend is a pastor, and his brother, (laughs) he's an elder in another church. These two brothers are dynamic, godly, stalwart men today. And a lot of it goes back to their dad, who, when they discovered the ugly side of ministry, helped them to learn how to process it well and deal with the difficulty they were experiencing. Well, last one. Fifth idea that's unique about ministry families, and that is you have to, as a ministry family, spend time with your children. Now, you say, well, that's no different than every other family. I understand that. But what I mean particularly is that you have to use your ministry calendar's flexibility and your minute and, and interface well with your ministry obligations to spend time with your children. You have to schedule your children's activities on your appointment calendar and keep those commitments. I remember that with my daughter's basketball in high school, she came home one day with her schedule. She said, Dad, here's my schedule. I got it as soon as I could. I have 14 games. I hope you can come to them. And I said, well, let's check. We pulled out my calendar, and we looked at it. And I said, Melody, I can come to 10 games, but there's four. I've already got speaking engagements on those nights. I can't really change those. I'm so sorry. She looked at me and she said, Dad, I know you have a job. I get it. You're coming to 10 games. That's, all, that's, that's awesome, Dad. And I realized in that moment that my mature daughter understood I have a job, but she also appreciated that I was willing to commit all the other nights that weren't already committed to her. And here's the beautiful thing. She knew that once she got on my calendar, I would turn other people down to keep those commitments. Another thing about having a ministry schedule is you have a lot of flex time. You mean, meaning that you work a lot of evenings because that's when people are available But you also, that means you have some time off in the daytime and in the afternoons. I went to so many children's programs with my kids that happened during the daytime uh, where I would go for a school assembly at two o'clock in the afternoon, or I'd go see them get an award or get some little recognition or something. And I'd often be the only dad there because why? I had the flexibility of scheduling my work day so that I could include that and still get the work done I needed to do at other times. So what I'm saying here is a challenge of ministry parenting is the schedule we have to keep in ministry, but we can turn that on its head and say, no, that's an asset for us as we do the work God has assigned us and yet plan time within that work week, within that daily schedule to prioritize our children and the activities and the events of their lives. Well, parenting in the ministry is challenging, but as I said at the beginning, It's not that much more challenging than other people are facing. So let's first of all just do the things other people do in their families and that we challenge them to do. And then let's understand that our situation, although unique, is not really that different than every other family is facing as they try to grapple with the vocational challenges to their family. But having understood that commonality, there are these five areas I've highlighted today on the podcast that are unique to ministry families. It's important to us to work hard at having healthy families, not perfect families. And a big part of that 
is learning how to parent well in the ministry to have the skills, the ability, and the intentionality to get it done well. Ministry is not detrimental to families. Done well, ministry families can thrive. Put these principles into practice this week as you lead on.